What story is the world not getting? I'm Dr. Adrienne McKeon, AKA the Story Whisperer. As a creation coach, my purpose is to help humans reconnect to themselves, to each other, and to the boundless creative energy that flows through each and every one of us. By releasing our unique perspectives and relatable experiences in the form of inspirational stories, not only do we give the world a precious gift that is ours alone to give, we help them really get our core message and come to a deeper understanding of the universal wisdom within it. Are you ready to reconnect? Good, because that's allowed. Hey everyone, welcome to the That's Allowed podcast. This is your hostess, Adrienne McKeon. And today I'm here with Pete Perkins Hurd. Pete, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Pete Perkins Hurd. I'm a writer, I'm an entrepreneur and a podcaster. And I'm actually um, considering myself dabbling into a creative uh, consultant as well these days. So um, I have a lot of fun projects going on and I, um, you know, just like to share them as well as my story with people. Tell me a little bit more about being a creative consultant. What does that mean to you? So I think a lot of people are creative, but we have a misunderstanding of what creativity is. Mm -hmm. I think creativity can be problem solving. I think creativity can be logistics. Mm -hmm. I think creativity can be in um, so many different areas of life outside of the arts. Absolutely. And I want people to, I, I try to always be creative in business. Um, I think the creative ideas are the ones that win where you carve out a lane for yourself. You create a niche yeah, um, and you take a market somewhere where it hasn't been before. I would consider Amazon, you know, the early concept of Amazon to be a creative idea, a creative endeavor. We hadn't seen something like that before. Um, and we've seen what how that unfolds. And so I want to help people um, kind of see themselves in as a creative or at least be able to see their creative gifts and harness them. Because I, I think we're all better when everyone feels like they're touching or maximizing their potential. Absolutely. I would completely agree. So I'll ask this first question. What story is the world not getting? Okay, so I feel like um, throughout my life, I've been um, a person that's uh, often misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, some of the coping mechanisms I used uh, are tendency to be more um, guarded, more aloof, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe even going as far to say emotionally unavailable at times, cold, distant, um, just so that, you know, I limit my exposure of being misunderstood. Um, yeah. And so I think, but I think in my heart, I want to connect with people. I want to reach out and build those foundations and those interpersonal relationships. And I think I, um, I had to develop this, but having the emotional intelligence, I always, cons I consider myself to be like having, um, 
emotional intelligence learning differences, you know, really high in some areas and then not so great in other areas, you know, just requires work and, um, you know, trying to get into my life in sales and leadership and entrepreneurship, you have to have that emotional component. Absolutely. When you rebuild, when you make anything happen, when you're talking with people, when you're collaborating. So, um, and I want, you know, anything I do, I want to try to enhance rather than limit someone else, you know? Um, so I think a lot of times my intentions are there. I think my execution is there, but when you judge people on results, I don't think you're always able to see that. And I think people see me differently than what I really am. Like, um, I, this story always comes to mind and it's like, um, my doctor, um, he joked with me one day, um, I was going to my ear, nose and throat doctor. And cause I've had issues with ear, nose and throat actually. And, um, he was just going through the, the list of all my visits and everything. And he was just like, wow, I really have seen you a lot. Like it was even <laughs> kind of hitting him. He was just like, you know, when people look at you, they think, you know, you're a strong strapping uh, young guy. He was like, but the truth is you're, you're uh, you've got a lot going on there. <laughs> you know, you're, you're kind of messed up there. And I was like, and I'm like, yeah, you know, and so, you know, dealing with, uh, I have a, a chronic illness, I have sickle cell disease. Mm. And, you know, oftentimes what people say to me, and I think they mean it as a compliment, and I try to take it as such. But it, it's odd when people say, Oh, you have sickle cell, I never would have known. You know, and right. that's sort of, okay, so what, does that look like to you, I guess, is really my question, but you don't always want to ask people that because that kind of can come off as defensive, yeah. but you are curious. So I hope to one day kind of do a study around that and, yeah, uh, you know, kind of ask people that and, and really, and so in a, a non-threatening, you know, safe manner where people could really just be honest and transparent about what they kind of have in their minds that that look like, because yeah. I, I've been the, you know, sickle cell camps growing up and networking with sickle cell people now. There really isn't anything that you could see in them that would distinguish them physically. You know, it's not like some other illnesses where there's some physical um, symptoms or physical traits that, you know, they are shared. Yeah. Um, so, um, it, but I, I always think that's interesting about like, where did that come from? you know, and so, you know, every, when people see me, they think I'm an athlete. Mm -hmm. And although I do like sports, I love basketball. Um, I, I love football. I love soccer. I love lacrosse. I've played all these sports except for football. Um, but I, I don't consider myself an athlete at all. Um, and that that would be, I could probably think of 20 other words I would use before that. So I think for me, it's how do I overcome what the perception of me might be versus 
what the reality really is, you know, and, and some people, and I think for a long time with me, it was people um, won't accept me if I'm completely putting myself out there because they have such a different idea of what I am. Yeah. You know? And so I almost tried to live um, in other people's comfort levels. Hmm. And that's very dangerous and, um, you know, isolating as well. So um, from that standpoint, um, I think I was, you know, there was the people, there was the person, the version of me that people see and how I interacted. And then there was what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And that dichotomy um, creates a shift. And you have to, you know, you're, you're always going to be a different thing. You're not, you're going to take on different roles in life and you can't, it's impossible to be great at all of them all the time. Right. But you need to kind of have that sense of balance. So I think I need to be more vocal about um, the fact that I have sickle cell disease, the fact that I have, um, you know, learning differences, the fact that I have, um, you know, that I have battled um, depression, you know, even, you know, the fact that, um, you know, I have gone through a lot of obstacles, experienced a lot of um, adversity that's caused trauma and how I dealt with that. Yeah. And so I think those are stories that I should tap, tap into and come at it from a positive perspective rather than just the um, more, I don't want to say superficial, but the more base level positivity where I'm just kind of like motivating people and I'm seeing the best in other people, but not necessarily uh, giving myself that same kind of attention and uh, grace. Absolutely. So there's a couple of things that I wanted to dive into a little bit deeper here. Okay. I love this question of like, what does illness look like, right? You, you expect to see someone who's sort of sickly in some obvious way, but so many illnesses, diseases, right, are invisible. You can't see them from the outside. You have no idea when you meet someone what they're battling. Right. Absolutely. No idea. None. Yeah. And so that's a really great reminder for everyone listening out there. Whenever you meet someone, that person is battling something that you just have no idea about and can't possibly know anything about unless they, you know, decide to tell you. And even when they decide to share, you can't fully understand what that means to them. Right. Because your experience of sickle cell might be completely different from somebody else's even. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And oftentimes they are, you mm -hmm. know, there, there's a whole, there's, um, you know, so many different forms of sickle cell disease. So that creates and everyone's body and genetic makeup are going to respond differently to it yeah. in your life circumstances as well. You know, um, there are some people who have sickle cell and they don't have medical care you know, which is a big deal that that changes your quality of life. Absolutely. Absolutely.
So the other question that I had was because we know having grown up in this, you know, system, we don't get taught emotional intelligence. That's just not something that is taught to us. So how do you learn that? How do you learn emotional intelligence and how do you practice it in your life? Well, my story is very um, different. So Mm -hmm. for me, I've always had people in my life that were very high emotional intelligence Mm. level. So starting off, my younger sister has a high level of emotional intelligence. Um, and hers comes in different ways. Hers is very unique. It's, it's interesting. Um, and then I had an older cousin, very high, uh, was like the star quarterback, athlete, you know, had, but he's very charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um, even my dad, I would say, uh, has a level of charisma that I just don't always have. You know, some people can see it in me, but it's not like a universal, I, I don't know if that's a word that is often described with me, right? Yeah. So, and then, you know, as I went through life in high school, um, one of my close friends uh, had a one of the highest levels of emotional intelligence I've ever seen. And he, and he used it in some really awful ways. Right. But, you know, it was manipulative. I always um, say like the show, pretty little liars. Yeah. He was like Allison from pretty little liars. That's the way our friend group kind of was, but yeah. God, he's in, you know, it, it was, yeah. he, but he, he was able to do so, so skillfully. And I was able to like notice this is what he's doing, yeah. you know, was still kind of, it was very, and to this day, very um, like odd relationship. You know, we, we just had another falling out recently about something inconsequential, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it was just, just weird. And the, the arguments we have are just, off you know but there's still a a bond there you know from all those years and and knowing that you know each other and so that's odd then I had another friend um high level of emotional intelligence he was a star basketball player um got all the girls and you know took me under his wing and you know I credit him a lot I'm writing a relationship book and um you know, I'm dedicating that book to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and now since then, he's actually suffered from uh, schizophrenia. Oof. And it's very interesting because when I look back at things and always hindsight is 2020. Of course. But there were certain things that he would do even back then, little things, very small, that made the diagnosis makes sense because at first when you hear something like that you don't necessarily want to accept it of course and it was a weird balance between you know we thought he was kind of hanging out with the wrong people people were influencing him he was kind of starting to do drugs that really wasn't him you know and so we thought it was really that at first but that's not it was the it was all a part of this mental issue you know mental health diagnosis Mm -hmm. and because he was popular 
And, um, you know, especially me, because I idolized him, you know, that's like my big brother figure. Um, There were certain things that if he wasn't popular, that could have been probably have caught earlier. Of course. And so that was, um, you know, things that people just kind of let go, like, that was kind of odd. Why do you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, or it just certain things that just happened where it was just like, for an example, one time, um, you know, we went over to a, a mutual friend's house to uh, watch a, a basketball game. He just ended up leaving, didn't say anything to anybody. He was my ride there. He just left me there. Wow. And then a couple of days later, he's talking to me like, nothing happened like that didn't happen you know and it was just and it wasn't malicious it was just little things like that and then you know I I was kind of like upset initially but I eventually you know let it go and there were just other little things that would happen like just does little sporadic sporadic moments that no one is really holding him accountable for because of the popularity yeah and in a lot of way, I, I kind of hold myself responsible for that to, because it was to his detriment ultimately. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how we can just become blinded by certain things, you know, yeah. uh, and because I'm someone who benefited from being, you know, within his inner circle, mm-hmm. you know, and in a lot of ways, um, you know, and, you know, I, I guess I was popular in my own right as well, but I was also popular because I had popular friends, you know, and how important that is when you're in high school, but really it's not important in the grand scheme of things at all. You know, I would have rather have had my friend be healthy now to this day and be able to catch up earlier than to, I, I could have missed out on a few more parties if that was the case. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So your journey to emotional intelligence, let's talk about that a little bit more. Where was the kind of turning point for you? When did the tide turn? So I think just being around them, I, I just picked up on mm-hmm. how they did things and, um, you know, and what that was. I saw that the, their skill set and that level, their gifts, and I just started picking up on things. And then I want it um when you want to start starting your my leadership journey mm-hmm. when I'm like for me to do what I want to do with my life I need to be a better leader yeah I need to figure that piece out that's really what's holding me back um and if I can figure this piece out there's no stopping me so it was that drive where it's like you have to get this together you have to go all in on this you can't you have to be 110 percent about your leadership journey and that's the way i've been since i would probably say around 17 18 hmm. and and it's it's non-stop i thought um you know you, you you don't always realize the growth in yourself um especially when it's an ongoing process there's not a, a stopping point yeah you know yeah so that's really interesting i think some people learn things just naturally like they're naturals right no no and, then, not at all and other people are have to learn things by rote but the 
good thing about having to learn things by rote is that then you can teach them. Naturals have a really hard time teaching what yeah. they do. Yeah. Because they can't break it down into steps because it's just, no. it's all one thing for them. Right. I, Absolutely. um, <clears throat> for a long time, I was a dating coach, but I specified in helping people who are on the spectrum to understand the social cues of dating. Okay. Right. It, it, what's that? That's very interesting. We have to have a whole separate conversation about that. Right. Right. But what I'm saying is what was interesting about it to me was having to as a person who just has natural emotional intelligence and empathy, break that down and explain to them what empathy is mm -hmm. and how to recognize it and how to do it <laughs> and how to read the room and how to read social cues and how to read body language and how to give body language, mm -hmm. right? And so it was a, this amazing experience for me to have to kind of break down what I do naturally for them. But I also found that some of them became the best teachers of each other because they were able to explain it to each other in a way that just made perfect sense to them. Right. Where I would say they something. Been at that spot where they were learning it and not quite getting it. And they knew what that, that little thing is that just that one word, that phrase or slight right. gesture, something that makes it all click. Yeah. I was doing a workshop on uh, flirtation with a bunch of, you know, women on the spectrum. <laughs> and so I'm explaining this thing of like, you know, when a man does this or when a man says this, and one of them says, oh, oh, you mean that eye thing? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, when they look at you right in the eyes and they just like hold it there. And I was like, yeah, eye contact. And she's like, yeah, but like eye contact, that doesn't say that to me. It's just like, okay, so I look at you and like, we're looking at each other's eyes. It's like this meaningful thing that happens. And I was like, yeah, meaningful eye contact, right? But they were able to understand it and explain it to each other in a way that I never could. So what's beautiful about you is that you now have this opportunity to teach people emotional intelligence who don't naturally have that, right? Yeah. And leadership. So let's talk a little bit more about leadership. What do you see as good leadership qualities and how do you, uh, how do you get those? <laughs> I think, um, I think leadership has to be an extension of your personality. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, that's where you get into your leadership style. Um, so it can vary. I think for me, it's more of I'm a visionary, so I need to make sure that I'm coming with a vision, yeah. um, a whole vision that we can all share in, but a specific vision for the individual. So I think, you know, when you're a visionary, especially, it's very important, you know, you have that kind of artistic vision of like, I, you know, the high level, this is how I want things. But it's also very important not to kind of micromanage uh, people. Oh, I'm sorry. I think maybe you cut out there. Right. <laughs> okay. Oh. No, yeah. No micromanaging. No. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I think you have to, I say it's like creating, a, <coughs> excuse Let's me, see. you're creating, you're creating a world and it's like, that's figure out what our roles are together collectively. And we're all enhancing one another. So it's not my job to tell you um, how to do it. Like, I think your process is your own. 
Yeah. But your goal has to be within the group. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I go back and forth with this quote, but it's, you know, individual success for group achievement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. Like we're, we want your talents. We want you as a person, not just your talents. You're not replaceable. Now that doesn't mean that there's not someone else that can fit this role, but you in your intangibles, we want you here. We want you to be a part of this. And um, we want you here, that helps someone else. You're, someone else is helping you. We're all in this together. And I think that's when the magic happens. That's a great um, segue. But, yeah. So I usually do a little uh, exercise at about this time. So I think this is kind of the perfect time to do this. So you can open your eyes or close your eyes, whatever feels most comfortable to you. But what we're going to do is I had this magic wand, okay? And I just wave my magic wand. And now all of your dreams have come true. Everything that you've always deeply desired, like what's written in the stars for you desired, has just come to pass. So I want you to look around this ideal life that is now here and describe it for me. What do you hear, see, smell, taste, touch in this perfect life that is now happening? Okay, I I smell the ocean. Mm. Uh, I feel the sun and I'm seeing, you know, my, my kids um, playing with one another, um, seeing my wife, um, seeing us reading together, just morning, morning breakfast and just taking the day in. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. What do you hear? Um, I hear like, uh, I'm seeing a lot, like, so just like breakfast being made, but also the pages of books being flipped. Um, the kids with their inside jokes, laughing (laughs) with each other, um, you know, maybe getting ready to do a little presentation, show mom and dad what they're they've been cooking up together Mm -hmm. um and you know I'm just seeing like I'm feeling a sense of tranquility a sense of peace that I've been like uh seeking for my whole beautiful so just feel that for a moment feel that peace feel that tranquility there's nowhere you have to go right now this is it you're just smelling that beautiful breakfast being made you're smelling the ocean you're hearing those waves you're hearing those kids laughing Just be there in that for a moment. And then I want you to go a little bit deeper into what is in this space, what is bringing you meaning? What is bringing you purpose? What do you do in this ideal life that brings you this sense that you're giving your gifts to the world? So I'm looking around and I'm seeing that, you know, my 
I've made most of the films that I've had planned out, uh, the TV series I have planned out. Mm-hmm. A lot of my uh, books have been published. Mm-hmm. That I have planned. All of it's coming into fruition. Um, I want you to look over, there's a bookshelf, and I want you to look over and see all the books with your name on them. Yeah. Lined up there. And you can see, they're probably not on DVD, this is the future, but just see the DVDs with your names on them too. Yeah. So you have a a physical symbol of all this work that you've accomplished and that you've created. Posters and Mm -hmm. all of it just, you know, as reminders of... um, everything and then the stories behind how all of that was created how the inspiration for each project and yeah. what the work required was for each project yeah looking back just think about what had to happen for you to get here all that beautiful creative work that was done and i want you to see yourself we'll go back just a little bit i want you to see yourself in a, a bookstore and there's a book signing happening and someone walks up with a book in their hand and I want you to really see this person and see the look on their face when they say to you this book changed my life it changed everything for me and see how sincere they are in that and how does that feel to you that feels like everything to me that you know that was the purpose of each and every project that I have is to transform someone's life and give someone encouragement. And hopefully my story creates an easier pathway for their story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience who's listening right now about this path that has brought you to where you are now? What routines did you set in place? What commitments did you make to yourself in order to have this perfect life that you have now? Um, I think my routines change often. Mm -hmm. Um, So just being adaptable. And for me, it's um, staying true to the promises that you make to yourself Mm -hmm. and always reminding yourself of a vision of your higher purpose, even when things feel like they're all, all hope is lost, just keep going. Even if you don't know where you're going, just keep going. Absolutely. Always move, always move forward. And um, I, the a piece of advice I would give is probably be careful in the early stages of who you share your story with. And um, there's a pastor um, by the name of uh, Stephen Furtick. Uh, he's written a few uh, bestseller books, um, and I think he's one of the great. Um, you know, people have different feelings about uh, religion and Christianity, but I think just in terms of uh, when you hear his messages, um, you can, even if you don't necessarily believe in Christianity, you can get something positive about him. I've gone through different phases of my faith um, and I've still been able to get something from him, but he has a, a quote that he shared where it's like, you can show people your scars, but don't show them your wounds. Not, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like that. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's very important when you're going through something, you know, you have to be very careful about who you can trust in that, those moments, but sharing your scars with people after you've 
healed from it and it's only just superficial at that point. It's not an ongoing injury. Um, I think that's powerful. Absolutely. People often ask me, how can I tell the difference between a story that's ready to be shared with the world and a story that's just for me or just for my therapist right now? And I say, it's all about that emotional charge. If you have a little bit of emotional charge on it, still, that's good because that will help the audience to feel that emotional charge. But if you get triggered by it to the point where you're not here in present time when you're telling the story, you actually go back into the story when you're telling it, then that's not a story that's ready to be a story. Right. That's, that's something you're still working through and healing from. So what are, what's a scar that you want to share with the audience that you think they could learn from? Um, I think a scar, I think are more about my experiences um, with the, uh, the dating trilogy. Mm. You know, I think going from, you know, having those issues of self-doubt when it came to, not maybe necessarily talking to girls, but feeling like, you know, and, and I guess it's even still true to this day where I'm not the first pick, right? Yeah. They don't like me the most, or they, maybe they don't love me, but they like me a lot, you know, but maybe I'm their second or third option. You know, I'm the guy, their, their best backup plan. You know, you're still in there, you're still in the running, but are you, but getting past that, and being able to have meaningful relationships and significant ties and being able to kind of express that and saying like, hey, um, you know, it, there is a pathway for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else would you like the audience to know before we wrap up? Um, I just want to share one of my uh, mottos uh, that really just resonates with me and I think encapsulates my philosophy as a person. Beautiful. Just um, channeling um, pain into productivity. Mm -hmm. You can say transforming pain into productivity, however you want to phrase it, but just that concept of taking things that are harmful to you, things that you've been traumatized by and turning it into your triumph for you. Absolutely. And I also want to reiterate that keep going. That is so important. The only way that you can fail is to quit. Quit. You can't quit. Don't quit on yourself and don't quit on your vision. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. So where can the people at home find you, Pete? Okay, um, you can find me on my uh, podcast, Trep Life, as well as uh, Game Gurus, available on all major uh, podcasting platforms. Uh, you can, um, I'm also available on social media, although I am going on a social media sabbatical very soon. Um, so um, I'm going to start that up. And then I'm coming out with some new websites, doing some rebranding here as well. So um, I'm really excited for uh, 2021 and the projects that we're launching into. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. And um, it was a great podcast. We're one of the best ones I've been on. Oh, thank you. That's great to hear.